Good morning again, everyone. So this is fun. This is different. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning. If you have a Bible with you on an app or actual hard copy, either way, Psalm 24 is where we're going to be. We've been in the book of Psalms for the last several weeks, looking at Psalm 22, 23, and 24, and thinking about how they pertain to the Easter story. So we're going to bring that to a close today by looking at Psalm 24. So uh, let me just once again say hello. Uh, it's good to see everybody, to see all of you. Uh, I want you to know that uh, Joel uh, and Kara and the band and Brad uh, and a lot of others uh, put a lot of work uh, into making this happen. Um, we're very grateful that we have the opportunity uh, to reach out this way. Uh, we're thankful to uh, Chris and Carrie Rogers from Hillsboro that loaned us the transmitter. Uh, we're just grateful that uh, we're able to connect in a weird time uh, in our country, in a uh, frightening time, uh, in a frustrating time, in an isolating time. We're grateful that we're able to connect in this way. And we're grateful to God for such a beautiful day uh, to proclaim the most important truth of all. Uh, the one thing that matters above every other thing, and that is, as I said earlier, the fact that Jesus is alive. As we begin thinking about the psalm this morning, <clears throat> I want you to think about a question. And the question is this. Imagine that someone literally saved your life. We're going to talk about someone who saved your life, of course, in Jesus. But imagine that someone rescued you, uh, pulled you out of traffic before a car hit you, uh, or... Um, you were sick with some illness and they gave you uh, an organ, you know, just suddenly showed up and were a right match and, and made that sacrifice for you. Imagine someone who saved your life in some sort of fashion like that. If they were to enter into a room full of a group of your friends, say at like a dinner party or something similar to that, how would you introduce them? How would you go about telling your friends about who that person was? Would it just be, hey, this is, this is Jeff, everybody say hello to Jeff? Uh, or would it be a, a little more to it? Uh, would you tell a little bit about the story? Would you maybe hype him up a little bit? Maybe it would be, this is how I would imagine it in my head, I would imagine it being with my friends like, hey, you remember that guy that I told you about? Or remember that girl that I told you about that, that did this, that saved my life, that rescued me? Do you remember that person I talk about all the time? Guess what? Here he or she is. There's something about an introduction that tells you what you think about the person. I know often in our relationships, uh, we want to make sure that when we meet new people in our romantic relationships with uh, our, our spouses or our boyfriends or girlfriends, that when we meet new people, we introduce them so that they know that this person is important to us. How would you introduce someone who saved your life? I think about every year in January, we have our State of the Union address in the United States, and I always think about the way that I forget who it is, forgive my uh, ignorance on the politics, but someone walks in to the big room where the State of the Union address is going to be given and says, the President of the United States of America, and then everyone jumps up to their feet, they stand and applaud, uh, at least that's the way things have usually gone, uh, and they applaud for what seems like, as you're watching on television, way too long. And they do it every time that the president, especially if he's on their side, makes a good point. They stand and they cheer, uh, again, for what seems like too long of a period. There's something about an introduction that says something about the way you feel about someone. Today, we're basically going to look at kind of an introduction on David's behalf. As David is introducing the presence of God into our space, into the space of his people. 
You see, the context of our psalm this morning is most likely 2 Samuel 6. We don't know that for sure, but that's the best guess. Uh, 2 Samuel 6 tells the story of David, the newly anointed king, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. It had been gone for a long time, and so they get together, uh, and and, and there's a, a long story that goes with it. But eventually, the Ark is led back into the city. David dancing before the Ark. Many of you know the story. And we get, we think we get this psalm as kind of a, a worship script for what went down in 2 Samuel 6. And if it wasn't 2 Samuel 6, it was something like that, where God's presence, where maybe God's ark was being brought into a certain location or maybe opening of the temple itself. We don't really know, but we think it had something to do with 2 Samuel 6. So I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 24. Before I do that, I'm going to pray. And before I pray, I'm going to tell you that the main thing I want you to remember this morning is that Jesus is our Savior King. Jesus and Jesus alone is our Savior King. Let's pray together one more time. Father, you are good. And God, you are here. And God, you are for us. And nothing says that more than the empty tomb and the empty cross. God, we pause in this moment and we give you honor and we thank you for being willing to stoop down to our level, to enter into our sin, to crucify sin and death on our behalf, and then to grant us an eternity with you if we choose to follow you. God, we do not deserve such a gift, but we relish it. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate that together this morning. God, we thank you for a beautiful day in clear skies. God, we thank you for the chance to uh, get away from isolation for a bit and connect in an unusual way. God, we thank you for the memory that this day will implant on all of us. And God, we continue to lift up our country, our world. God, we continue to pray that you would deliver uh, our world, our entire world, uh, from this coronavirus. God, we pray your mercies over it. God, we pray your healing over it. God, we pray the destruction of it. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're going to be in Psalm 24. I'm going to break it up into chunks, starting by reading the first couple of verses. David writes these words, most likely David. The earth earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, David writes. One thing that's talked about a lot in our current culture, in our current world, is the idea of intellectual property. If someone has an idea, uh, they want to patent that idea as quickly as possible uh, because that idea can make money. And so they patent that idea, they put their mark on it, they put a copyright on that idea, or they, they put it on a song or something else. It's not necessarily an object that one can patent, but it's more of an idea. And they say that that is their intellectual property. And if somebody else comes along with a similar idea, they sue that person because they're taking their profit, they're using their idea, they're using their intellectual property in order to gain some advantage, income that should be due to the person who created it. All that you see, all that is before you in this moment, from the gasoline pumping through your cars to the electricity running through the computer to the air in your lungs to the love that you feel for those in the car with you, to the beautiful sky, to the birds chirping, to the sun shining, all of that is God's intellectual property. Every single bit of it. God has a patent on all of it. And he's not going to let that patent expire anytime soon. God owns everything. 
all of this and the fullness thereof, that includes you and me, belongs to God and belongs to God alone. And so you can kind of picture the scene as David is leading the group carrying the ark back into the city. And they're celebrating how God is, is coming back to them, how God is restoring himself to them. They're celebrating that not only this city, not only the ark, not only the people of God that are around the ark, but everything in the earth belongs to God. And you and I, because we have knowledge that reaches beyond this earth, when we can look at the stars and we can think about the distance between galaxies and between stars and how many, how many celestial bodies there are out there that just that we've discovered and we know that there's some that we haven't, even all of that is God's and the fullness thereof. Things that will never be seen by a human eye were the intellectual property of God, created by God and stand for his glory until he comes again. God alone, God alone gets credit. God alone gets credit for all that's good. And so may you in this time give God credit for the goodness that's around us. May you give God credit for the things that we don't have access to right now that we took for granted before they were taken from us. May you give God credit for your health for your relationships, for your career. May you give God credit for a beautiful day, and may you give God credit for life itself. You see, forget the resurrection. Don't forget the resurrection. But forget the resurrection. Life would be impossible without God. Life, everything that is, would be impossible without God acting upon us, without God creating it out of nothing, and then picking up the dirt of the ground and breathing his spirit, his life into us. All of that would be impossible without the king of glory. Verses 3 through 6, still in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Ascend the hill, it says in this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? If you know anything about the geography of Jerusalem, basically from whichever direction you approach it, you're going uphill. Uh, We're probably approaching it from the Valley of Kidron, which is the lowest point before it, looking up. And so you can see David proclaiming before all of them as they say all of these wonderful things about God. The question then becomes, who is worthy of being in God's presence? And so who will ascend the hill? And the hill in this case is most likely the hill of Zion, Mount Zion, both literally on Jerusalem and figuratively as we ascend the hill to Mount Zion, meeting Jesus in heaven someday. Who will ascend that hill? Who has the right to be in the presence of this God who has a patent on everything? David begins to explain the one with clean hands and a pure heart, the one whose actions and thoughts speak of righteousness, the one who does not lift up his souls to another. In other words, the one who does not worship idols, the one who looks at God as God alone, gives God alone credit, the one who does not swear deceitfully, one who is true and honest and speaks truth and lives with honesty and integrity. And so then you look at that list, and just like any other list in Scripture, your immediate thought, or at least my immediate thought, is then, well, I don't have any chance, right? Uh, there's been times where I've been less than honest in my life, uh, probably yourself as well. 
Uh, there's been times when I have been less than transparent, where I haven't necessarily had a pure heart, where I have worshipped idols, not necessarily uh, other gods of other religions, but idols of humanity's making in the 21st century, where I have given my heart to those things. Maybe you are in that same boat. It's called sin, and we're all in the midst of it. But he continues... He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You see, even in the Old Testament, righteousness didn't come from our effort. Righteousness came from one place, and he's the source of everything else. The earth is God's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God, even righteousness. Even the righteousness that you and I get to walk in, when we do a righteous act or a good work, even that comes from the Lord. And that's always been the case, not just in the New Testament. Righteousness comes from God alone. And in the ultimate sense, that righteousness comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ and through the sacrifice that he gave on our behalf. He lived a perfect life that we could not live and then died a death that we could not die that we deserved, but that we could not do on our own. He did all of that so that he might grant us a righteousness that is not our own, so that we might not be held responsible for our own unrighteousness and fallenness. Instead, we know that God himself gives us righteousness. Righteousness comes from the God of Jacob. And so we seek him. We are the generation, as it says in verse 6, of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. Jacob meaning Israel, the God of Israel, the God of all peoples, Old Testament and new, who follow this one true God. We belong to the God of Jacob. We belong to the God of Israel because Jesus came and grafted us in and extended this gift to us, this family to us. We have access to life through the God of Jacob. We have access to life through the King of glory. Now, verses 7 and 10, verses 7 through 10. Before I read it, though, I want to recall to your mind that idea of an introduction of someone standing like you would at the State of the Union and announcing the president. That's basically what these next few lines are. You can imagine David and the rest getting, passing underneath the gates of the city. The gates of Jerusalem, don't know which one, but passing into the gates of Jerusalem, perhaps even seeing the temple over the top, knowing that they are headed to, again, kind of literally in their mind, bring God back to Jerusalem. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your gates, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You know, this is actually the only time in the Old Testament that the phrase the King of glory is used. There's something special about this moment. And as they enter through the gates, David says figuratively to the gates themselves, lift up your heads, O gates. It's as if the frames themselves were being told to expand because God's glory was too big for the city of Jerusalem, certainly too big for the temple itself, that God's glory could not be contained within the place to which the, the ark was now going, the place to which God's glory was headed. The temple wasn't big enough for God's glory. And guess what? Neither is any building. 
Neither is any vehicle. Neither is any city or state or nation or even this world. This world in itself is not big enough for God's glory. That's why there are things billions of light years away from us. Because we cannot imagine how big the glory of God truly is. It's why when people in the Old Testament, the reason why they didn't ever want to see the glory of God, because they knew if they caught a glimpse of it, they would die immediately. Moses himself was just shown the backside of God's glory, only able to view just a little bit. And when Moses had God's glory just a little bit in his sight, his face shone because he had been in God's presence. We in our world who think we have all these wonderful things and these wonderful inventions that make life so easy, that make life so grand, we have forgotten forgotten about the glory of God. And perhaps in this time when we are isolated, perhaps in this time when we have extra time to meditate, may we remember the King of glory. May we remember that all good comes from him. May we remember in our time of anxiety, in our time of worrying, in our time of isolation, that God is here with us, that God is good, that God is in control and God will not relent, will not forsake us, will not ever leave us. This is the King of glory. Can I get an amen from somebody? Thank you. There it is. He is the king of glory. Our God, Jesus Christ, who is this king of glory? The question is asked. The Lord, strong and mighty, is a reply. The Lord, mighty in battle, is another. And the Lord of hosts is the final. And, of course, we know the king of glory has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. The king of glory, the one to whom the earth belongs and the fullness thereof, his name is Jesus. He wore flesh just like you and I. And here is the thing that is more amazing than anything else that I've told you today. This king of glory, this God who owns everything, the God who pieced your DNA together in your mother's womb, this God who spoke stars into existence. This God died for you. This God allowed himself to bear your sin. Paul tells us that he became your sin, that he became a curse for cursed as one who hangs on a tree. He became your sin the king of glory, the one of whom David says the temple wasn't big enough, the one of whom all of us, I think, would say that that nothing is, is big enough, no church is big enough. This king of glory became your sin. That ought to give you a sense of awe, that a God that big would become this intimate. That a God that transcendent would become this imminent. That a God so sovereign would become so low for you and me. Think of the worst thing you've ever done. Jesus became that. He bore that. The worst thought you've ever thought. Jesus bore that. He became that. The king of glory was beaten, bloodied, and completely humiliated upon a cross because he loves you. The king of glory loves you. 
the king of glory is crazy about you. So much so that he would go to the measure of death to save you and to be able to spend eternity with you. If Jesus would do that for us, would he not be with us in the midst of this time? If our God can save us from death, our God can save us from a virus. Amen? If our God can save us from death, our God can save us from anxiety. Our God can save us from loneliness. Our God can save us from regret. Our God can save us from guilt. Our God can save us from whatever crazy politicians put on us. Our God can save us from all the above because he is the king of glory. And he died for you. So when you look at that cross, in your mind's eye, you might see a weak man. But that is just because the king of glory took on our weakness. What's really there is the sovereign God of the universe. The one who spoke and everything came into existence. And because he is the one who went to the cross, he was capable of defeating sin and death. Of winning a battle you and I could not win. And then, just when it looked bleakest, just when it looked as if the king of glory had been extinguished on the third day, he rose again. The king of glory was too big for the temple. The king of glory was too big for the church. And the king of glory is also too big for the grave. Nothing can extinguish the king of glory. And he loves you. And he chose you. And he wants to live with you for eternity. So lift up your heads, O church. Lift up your gates, O believers. The king of glory is about to come in. Who is the king of glory? He is the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord who is strong in battle. He is the king of glory. Who is the king of glory? His name is Jesus Christ, and it's him we worship, and it's him who gives us hope, and it's him we will spend eternity with. Jesus is the king of glory who chose to suffer for you. I want you to know that there's hope for today and there's hope for tomorrow. That our God created this world, knows everything there is to know about it. That he will take us through this current time. That he will bring health, he will bring wellness, he will bring restoration. But I also want to tell you that there's a disease that isn't going to get talked about through the media that is more of a pandemic than anything else we've ever seen. And that is, of course, excuse me for being cliche, but that disease is, of course, sin. And there is no cure from it apart from Jesus Christ. And what happened was that Jesus allowed himself to be infected with that disease. He became that illness. He took it upon upon himself, and it killed him. It literally brought death to him. He tasted death. But then he was raised. But then he came back to life, and the illness was defeated. And now he has the antibodies. Now he has the cure. All you have to be doing, all you have to do is be willing to take it. All you have to do is be willing to take his righteousness and inoculate it upon your own, to have it imputed to you, and you will be cured. You will be saved. And once you get this cure... There is no defeat. There is no end. There is no death. 
Who is the king of glory? It is Jesus, my savior, who loves me enough to die for me and then killed my sin and death by coming back from the dead. And he wants to live with me forever. And he does so with you too. I don't really know how to give an invitation when everybody's in their cars. But what I would invite you to do is, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, talk to somebody you know who does. Ask them what it it would mean for you to be saved. And if you want to talk to us, you can call us at the church office. Our number is 817-866-4430. Message us on Facebook. Um, Do whatever you need to do. Just get a hold of us. Let us know. We would love to talk to you about what it means to believe in and follow Jesus as Savior. And for those of you who do know Jesus as Savior, may you be reminded today of the hope that we have in him. May you not languish in the hopelessness that is around us. May we instead be like David before the Ark of the Covenant. May we know that God's presence is with us always. And may we lift up our voices every time we realize that he is near and say, who is this King of glory? This King of glory is Jesus. I'm his and he is mine. May we rest in that and may we find victory in that. Amen. I'm going to pray for us real quick while the band is coming back. Father, once again, we love you and we thank you. God, we thank you for being bigger than we knew you were. For being a God who we can praise in the midst of a storm. God, thank you for today. God, thank you for the truth that you are alive, that you are sovereign, and that you are for us. God, may you be glorified through the worship of your people today. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.